I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, part two of Athlete Development. As promised, a couple of weeks ago in part one, I began with this statement. Your performance evolution is a journey. It is one that takes patience and time. Yes, coaches and experts that preach patience and the requirement for long-term development to yield the big success are absolutely right. And in the last episode, we went through stories of many of the great professional athletes that we've assisted to, making sure that they get from amateur world-class performance. Tim Reed, Laura Siddle, Jesse Thomas, Sarah Piampiano, Meredith Kessler, Rachel Joyce. And as we're chatting about the professionals, we are in the midst of the journey right now with a Chelsea Sodaro. Oh, a quick tip. Watch out for that one. I think she's going to be pretty good. Of course, I got to work with many other magical pros, Chris Lieto, Luke Bell, Runner Ryan Hall, Rasmus Henning, even the professional boxer Audley Harrison. My British friends will remember him. But all of these fall into the category more of finishing touches and interventions, well over the long-term career development that we're worried and focused on in these two episodes. Today, it is all about that development, the journey setting the stage for putting the steps in place to enable evolution and positive change. Remember, evolve or die? Well, here we go again. But before we do, let's do our squaddy update. Now, as we dive into this week, I want a quick word on February. Firstly, 10,000 Instagram followers. You did it. We did it. Thank you. Easy. Crack the code within a couple of days. The question is, who was lucky number 10,000. Well, the handle, as I'm told they're called, the electric Buddha. You were 10,000, thousand, thousand follower. Rob Castaneda. Cheers, mate. Well done. I'm glad I showed you the center now. You became the magic number 10,000. And for the rest of you lot, don't ever say I don't do anything for you. Because within immediate effect, I posted the video of local Purple Patch hero and a man of refined class, Angus. If you want website worthy, head to the feed. Check out an almost Daniel Craig Bond-like emergence from the water. And on that note, we want you to be our Purple Patch Palantine this month. Yep, our little gift how this all got going was the simple stimulus, register for squad, or one-to-one coaching in the month of February, and you'll receive a free Purple Patch Visor. You're a current athlete already with us? Great. Refer a friend, and you'll both get the swag. And you're going to look really fine and dainty training together. You're already training with your partner? Tag us on Instagram. We'd love to see it. Hashtag Purple Patch Palantime. And to redeem, once you register, we'll send you the promo code, and you'll get a free, very sparkly, blue purple patch visor. Now, let's talk training for the purple patch squaddy update. We're in the build phase. 
the phase of development of resilience and fitness and strength. The platform to set the stage for the more race-specific type of work that's coming up with our athletes. And this is the part of the year that our triathletes are spending a fair amount of time on the trainer, with just the lucky few being able to head outside. I often get asked by athletes how we approach our bike training. After all, we do have a pat on the back here, but we do have a pretty rich history of developing very strong cyclists in the sport. Well, as you might imagine, there ain't no magic. But if there is just a little bit, just a little thing that we can extract, it would absolutely be anchored around what we call end of range training. Let me explain. Every single bike rider, no matter what level, happens to have a natural self-selected comfortable cadence. Flat road, no wind, the revolutions per minute or the RPMs that they naturally fall to. And for most cyclists, that's going to be somewhere around 80 to 90 revolutions or RPMs a minute. Now, when you're riding outside, a rider's cadence would and should stray from this. If you're going uphill or into a wind, you might find yourself riding at 60, 65, 70 revolutions per minute. With a tailwind or a slight downhill grade, the cadence might climb 95, 100, 110 RPM. This is what we call real-world range of pedalling. And we at Purple Patch spend a massive amount of time with riders training at the end of these ranges. Get it? End of range. In fact, we have them ride synthetically high or more frequently synthetically very low cadence. We do a lot of high torque, low cadence work, sustained very strong intervals at, and listen to this, 40, 45, 50 revolutions per minute. The quest keep the upper body quiet and supple. And then we ask for great violence from the leg while maintaining a really fluid pedal stroke. And this improves technical awareness. You're slowing down the pedal stroke. You have more awareness. But much more than that, we also seek to gain a higher recruitment of available muscle fibers. We see great gains in the what we label strength, endurance and sustainable power. And we start to get an improved range of tools to utilize in real world riding. Now, there is much, much more to it, but I'll save it there. Otherwise, it becomes a podcast of its own. And as with the theme of today... This is a training approach that really requires you building into incrementally. I would advise you to begin small and grow in bite-sized pieces and keep working and working until you start to see some of our pro athletes hitting 6 to 10 repetitions of 10 minutes at a very strong but incredibly low cadence. And yes, you've guessed it. It's a lovely bridge between the gym-based strength that we do and the real-world sports-specific force development. We call this SE work, strength endurance. It is, of course, at the low end of range training. And so if you love to ride a bike or a training for a triathlon, I promise that this is your greatest weapon in development. Don't fall for that spinny spin, keep your cadence over 90 revolutions a minute mantra that was popularized in the 90s. For you, it is more than likely a myth and it is not going to yield your best performance. Now, if you need help and support, of course, you know where to find us, purplepatchfitness.com. 
Squad for the more self-supportive athlete, one-to-one for those that want the highly individualized programming and feedback. But either way, reach out. We're delighted to have a chat. It's a perfect time for that Palantine promo, isn't it? And with that, it's time to jump into the flames, to infect our minds with that jingle. Try getting this one out of your head today. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. And the Word of the Week this week, oh, this is one of my favourites. It is pork chop. We go back in time. We bring into the public life a simply legendary figure at Purple Patch. It is Porkchop. He is the origin, the origin of Porkchop Paradise. You can find it in the dictionary. And what that means and why he's called that, well, you know, I would have to kill you and all that. But by the by, this last week was yet another example of pork chop paradise in action. This, just another Tuesday for pork chop, but I cannot help but share it with you. It cements so much of the foundation of the why behind this legendary figure. Our hero is in the midst of his quest towards the Boston Marathon. Now, don't let me fool you for a minute that you think that he qualified. Nepotism is alive and well. But here he is, our hero and warrior, training along. Now, utilising the well-known methodology of leaning into multi-sport to prepare for running races. And, simply put, once again, Port Chop is all in. Swimming some, biking a lot plenty of strength, and yes, the specificity anchored around the run. And so, does his Sunday swim, on Monday, a little easier ride, and then, on Tuesday, it's the intervals, the running intervals, a little threshold work for pork chop. But today, it's a tough day. He's struggling. Bravely, he pushes on. He finishes interval number four of six. He questions himself. Can he face another two zone four intervals? He decides on a quick walk break. He must gather himself. He, looking in the proverbial mirror, faces his demons as he navigates the bustle of the Berkeley, California street full of commuters and locals. And, I assume, the next joint. And as he lifts his head, looks to the sky, he faces despair. He just cannot do another interval. He's resigning himself to the beginning of excuses of why only four intervals told to his coach, Scott Layton, were enough on that day. And then from nowhere, a barge, a whack, one, then two, shoulder barges and pushes, two youths or utes if he was in New York, but two youths scramble past him down the sidewalk and away from him, and immediately he forgets his excuses for interval failure and anger bubbles. Before he can even turn, a desperate woman emerges from the coffee shop. Those guys stole my laptop, she screams. Well, with only a few moments to pause and to think about his own laziness, and certainly a little bit of reflection on his personal safety, zone four for Porkchop is quickly re-established. 
suddenly he finds himself in the midst of the fifth interval, chasing the thieves, that is, far longer than the prior four intervals, and riddled with smiles as Porchup realises now he needs no excuses. He chases and he chases, two minutes in, three minutes in, four minutes in. The scoundrel slow, our hero maintains purple patch all the way. The chasing converts to search and rescue as the thieves try to hide, but he's got a big nose, he's got a great sniffer, and the thieves fail. Laptop reclaimed, pork chop unscathed, thieves in handcuffs, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is pork chop paradise in action. The moral of the story, well, I'm kind of struggling for it, but why don't we say this? Purple Patch training really does pay off, and it really does have a broader positive impact on society as a whole. And that is why it gives me great pride to let you know that the word of the week this week is pork chop. And with that nonsense out of the way, let's get back to the real business of performance education. Let's do meat and potatoes. And yet, it's pork this week, you know. Yes, the meat and potatoes, and we can get back on the serious wagon because we are talking about athlete development. This is part two. So if you haven't listened to this, well, the truth is that you don't have to listen to part one before emerging onto this episode, but I do recommend that you go back and have a little tinker at it because I think it's going to be valuable. But for part two, let's start with this. We always discuss the journey has been the most important mindset for any performance-minded individual. The passion for the process and seeking ongoing personal gains is the fuel that feeds champions. It isn't toughness, that's just a simple prerequisite, and it certainly isn't natural physical gifts. There are many of those types that are sitting on the scrap heap of performance. But it isn't enough for me to just tell you to lean into the journey. I always find context is helpful. And so, in this part two, we outline progression and development tactics for a couple of different types of athletes. One is a quest to find the finish line. And the other is a journey from basic stagnation to performance. Now, they might pass in the high street and not high street and not recognize each other's request, but the parallels of the journeys are startlingly similar. The first we're going to explore Rachel. And Rachel is deep inside an aspiring Iron Man. And then we're going to get on to Harry, or Harry as he might say is as American. Now there's a little bonus at the end of this episode where we're going to join the dots for you and go into a business analogy of some of the context. I decided to expand the thinking into a little bit more of a corporate setting. After all, the truth is, folks, many of the smartest people in business that I've got to work with often need a little holding hand to join the dots from the lessons of sport. So I'm going to do that at the end of the show. But let's come back and begin with Rachel. Now, if you've listened before, you know the format, the profile, the diagnosis, the intervention, 
And then, of course, the golden results. Let's first talk about Rachel's profile. Well, based in the Midwest, and when we begin this story, Rachel was 39 years of age. For context, that's about five years ago. She's a mum of two, and the truth is, over the last decade or so, she really hadn't been very athletic. In her prior life, as she liked to call it, she swam a little bit in high school, she played some women's basketball, did a little bit of soccer. But, as with so many people, life got in the way, first with work and then family. And now, as kids start to move into their own sports and head towards the teenage years, suddenly Rachel finds herself at a little bit of a crossroads. The internal spotlight sparkles again, and it starts to focus on herself, her life, what she wants to accomplish. And sitting in the Midwest, Rachel has several friends who, as she saw it, do amazing things. Jenny just did Boston to Big Sur double. That's two marathons in two weeks. Carol just finished an Ironman. And Rob was always going around the country competing in trail marathons, triathlons, and much more. And so Rachel found herself, as she said, inspired but intimidated. And she had two main reservations about herself. The first, her ability. It just wasn't her. And secondly, her time. She didn't want any sporting endeavour to dominate, nor become some whole fitness nut whose complete existence was anchored around training. But deep inside, and it wasn't that deep because I managed to get out of it in first conversation, if she had a single dream, one that she'd never even uttered, but the truth was it was to finish an Ironman. She just knew that this goal seemed like an insurmountable challenge. And she certainly didn't have 20 hours a week and all day Saturday and Sunday that other friends were doing to train for one. And so her action, and a great self-induced action, was just to get going. And that was cracking. She did enter a sprint triathlon with her friends and just got on with it, did it. She jumped in two feet. She had four to five weekly sessions, a quick relearning of bike riding, and she was off to the races. Now, let's diagnose her situation here. Because when I met Rachel, and I managed to get out of her sitting over coffee, that yes, deep inside there was this ambition, this absolutely unattainable ambition. It just wasn't for someone like her. She didn't almost deserve the opportunity to cross the finish line of an Ironman. What I saw immediately was the athlete inside, the ambition, but all caged by life situation and a little bit of self-doubt. Well, She trained by herself, she did her sprint, and she loved it. But what next? The army of voices from her friends were loud, and they pushed and pushed her. Go on, bite the bullet. Enter an Iron Man. Well, the truth was, as I diagnosed her situation, that Rachel's mind and body were simply not in an ideal place to really begin proper preparation for an ultra-endurance event In fact, many would say one of the hardest and most challenging endurance events there is, an Ironman. 
Physically, she required more resilience and structural readiness. She was already prone to niggles from the rigors of running. She had little appreciation of pacing, a really important thing when you're going to be going swim, bike and run for many, many hours. She hadn't even begun the journey of exploration around fueling and hydration and some of the other supporting habits. And her swimming in open water was a completely terrifying concept that elicited panic. Beyond all of that, she could ride a bike, but she was no artist. She wasn't skilled at terrain management, navigating wind, handling, gear changing over different descents and ascents. She needed to learn how to truly ride a bike. So here was the situation where I saw Rachel falling in love with multi-sport, but not ideally ready for cementing that first Ironman finish that she dreamed of. Now, you might be listening at this stage and feel a little differently. Go on, Rachel, go for it. Sometimes you've got to jump off a cliff and see if you can fly. And I get it. I do get it. In for a penny, in for a pound and all of that. And I could drive Rachel 20 miles into the desert and she'd survive. She'd walk out. She's tough. But would that really accomplish anything outside of a short-term appreciation of toughness? Remember that I said? Toughness is not a differentiator? Well, it's true here as well. I already know that Rachel's tough, and I can already foresee that she's going to be successful. But I don't seek a one-and-done type of toughness. Instead, the journey, the journey of development, should be more meaningful, and it should be rewarding, and it should be one of development and integration into her life, where ultimately, when she finishes an Ironman, she has also been successful in expanding her life view, improving her health and her energy, and becoming the version of herself that she aspires to. So Ironman isn't her destination. It's simply a vehicle to create a performance-driven life. And so within this context, I really believe that patience is worthwhile because the reward is going to be even more rewarding. And so what did we actually do? Well, the intervention for Rachel was very simple. We mapped a two-year plan and we chose an Ironman at the end of that second year, Ironman Arizona. That became the target. It's a November race, so that enabled us to have two full seasons of progression. And she simply couldn't imagine at the start of this two-year journey, imagine what it was going to be like to go through and suffer and ultimately succeed in an Ironman. But I asked her, do not even think about Ironman until next August, 18 months time. Don't even think about it. That's your destination, but there's no value of thinking about it now. So instead, in year one, we created some pretty scary goals for the time. Two to three sprint triathlons, not too scary there, but they were anchored in getting faster and transitioning from being completing to competing. We also included two Olympic distance races. The first, completion. The second, a competitive effort. And then early in year two, a half Ironman distance. Am I really going to be ready for a half Ironman next year? I think so. In the summer of year two, another half. And this time, 
go and give it a good crack. Then a break, a holiday, a couple of weeks off, about four months out of the goal and a checkpoint for us to take a step back, reflect and then set the path if she was physically and mentally ready to drive forward to that inner goal, Ironman. She would then have August, September, October and most of November to prepare for the race and also prepare by prepping the family, getting buy-in, targeting specific weekends where she could be out and do some extended training and provide the scope for those needed hours that are necessary to be successful in an Ironman event. And so that was the roadmap. It diluted the focus of a half Ironman and an Ironman distance to back of mind. And that was liberating. Rachel instead could focus on the achievable and the accessible. Suddenly the mountain didn't look so grand when we discussed racing sprints and completing Olympic distance races. It was all within the scope of reality. But how about the training? What do we do with her? Well, the first, and this was central, swim, bike, run, No, strength work, right at the forefront, a critical component for any woman coming into her 40s and one that would be relegated to an afterthought if she suddenly and quickly jumped into some big volume Ironman preparation. Strength and conditioning was the key. The second is we really tried to build conditioning in the safest way possible. Lots of swimming, a focus on riding, with a blend of trainer work for efficiency and intervals, outside riding to develop those skills, a little bit of adventure, and of course, the subsidiary and supporting conditioning. And in running, we did high frequency, but we really didn't accumulate big miles because the quest was, show me you can run four plus times a week without injury, and then we get to earn a little greater emphasis on intervals and speed. The training was simply focused on two words, repeatable and sustainable. About six hours a week, sometimes up to eight, and it really fit into her life nicely. And we also, right from the start, and I think this is important, folks, right from the start, we dialed in the most basic yet critical habits around all the stuff that I always talk about, fueling, hydration, sleep, and recovery. We wanted a perfect performer of habits so that those supporting habits, when training was sustainable from a mental and physical component, and when we could ramp it up and dial up the volume, the habits would simply uptick in alignment. It would just simply be the way things were done without question. And this is so often forgotten, but the impact is so critical. If we had have just accelerated the process, not got on the development, it would have been almost insurmountable for Rachel to be able to think about the value of recovery, the importance of daily hydration, to refuel after every workout. It just would have been swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. Now, I think it's important to pause here and establish something that is of equal importance for all athletes and coaches. What we created was a starting roadmap. And ironically enough, in Rachel's case, it's almost exactly how it progressed. Her line of performance gains were bizarrely almost linear, but it's rare. It's really rare. 
Whenever setting a roadmap with progression, we must be willing to adapt and respond relative to what actually happens. And I would argue that about 5% of plans and roadmaps end up being executed exactly as planned. And that's all right. That's what sport is. That's what performance is. That's what development and the journey is. And so this roadmap really, what it does is it provides the vision, the roadmap, perspective, and it enables us to retain that perspective when things get really grisly and the compass once we start to dive into the weeds of doing. That's all it is. It's not set in stone. It's not chiseled in rock. It is a guide. And it just so happened that with Rachel, we got it spot on. It was luck. And it doesn't mean it was better or worse. It just, it was what is. And so what happened to Rachel? Well, as we set up 2020, remember five years later, you know what she's up to? Preparing for Kona. Yeah, she made the finish line of an Ironman two years after commencing, not six months. And she remained healthy. She's progressed. The sport is still executed on her terms, well within the context of her life. But most important is the supporting habits that facilitate are just that, habits. If I had to guess... Rachel's probably going to expand her lens on athletic endeavours and do other things. She might do trail runs or riding trips. And if and when she does, I promise you that she will be grounded in really good habits, things that she doesn't even think about. It's just the way of her being a performance athlete. She's grown in confidence and most importantly, and mostly with my pride, she's retained a sense of ownership. But I believe that she only did this by not jumping so quickly into something that she simply had to survive. Instead, she could evolve and grow and develop. Now, this is a story of a normal person doing a remarkably good job of personal performance development. And the fact that under the cover of that perception of fear that she wasn't good enough in fact, laid a warrior of an athlete who ended up going to the Ironman Hawaii World Championships. That's really immaterial to the fact that you, yes, you, anyone, can also take on such a pursuit and feel better in their life and be really successful. It doesn't matter how unfit you currently are. You don't need to turn into something competitive. It certainly doesn't have to be an Ironman, but it should be tackled with care. And it should be tackled with the quest of not just getting across the line or doing a time, but becoming the best version of yourself possible. And if you're still not convinced, I want to tell you a story about Harry, or Harry, as I'd say from East London. Case study number two, we're going to call Harry my aspirational couch potato. Yep, we had Rachel, who was aspirational for Iron Man. Harry just wanted to get off the couch. His profile was San Francisco based. He's a part of a financial services company that we won't name. But 
It's enough to say that he is embedded in an ambitious and high success environment. The CEO and many of the employees lean into that catchphrase, high performance, health, and for lack of a better phrase, life hacking. You walk into their offices and you'll see aura rings and gluten-free and vegan snacks, nap pods, a high-end office gym, supplements in the office kitchen that is underused because of the new trend of fasting. You get the idea. And the truth is that Harry feels the pressure to lean into this type of lifestyle. And despite his sporting background of high school sports and a year of rowing in college, he is, as we find him, struggling. He's overworked, two kids at home and feeling the pressure from all sides. Harry's is a struggle that many face. And it's a challenge that's amplified by all of those societal norms and also the blizzard of bullshit quick fixes that only act to distract and confuse. For the last three years, Harry's gone through them all. New year, new you. Lasted a few weeks and then he got injured. A commitment to a spring diet or some sort and then breaking as life got busy and energy waned in daily life. Repeated injuries that broke any chance of consistency. And in fact, the one area that he was consistent with was data capture. But the three years of data hasn't led to any meaningful action. Tons of information, no positive action. And so, when I came on board, well, the diagnosis was not complicated. But it is really important. Because Harry is stuck in a cycle of injury, inconsistency, confusion and frustration. And despite best intentions and his ambition, they're both trumped by those setbacks and injuries. And when we unpick the process that Harry was doing, it was clear that there were two major things wrong. And this is really common with highly ambitious folk. Number one, yes, too much too soon. When fitness was on as a topic that he simply tilted focus to, it was all in. And of course, he just threw the kitchen sink at it. He ramped up frequency of workouts, the load ramped quickly, and then suddenly and repeatedly, it led to structural breakdown. Injury, a forced pause, back to square one. The second challenge for Harry was that when he tilted that focus and he went all in, there was a tendency to change too much in a single hit. Seldom was the mission to transition back to frequent exercise or what should be called actually training, remember the difference, structured and progressive and all that, but rarely was it just about moving back in. It was all that and then it was always adding some new magical approach to eating, tracking, sleeping, cold immersion therapy. When all in, it was all consuming. And many of the additional interventions had a negative short-term high impact. Lethargy, energy imbalance, likely risk to injury. Boom, it compounding. Of the five levers that Harry could pull Every time he got off his proverbial backside and decided to change, he went ahead and did what so many people do. He pulled all of them as far as they could go. And it's no wonder he faced challenge. And so how did we break the mould here? How do we get him to mental resilience, energy balance, physical resilience on a quest of improvement to 
have him at a destination of sustainable high performance in life and of course in health and fitness. Well, the first component when we went through with the intervention was it was so critical to first do nothing. What? Do nothing. Do nothing. Don't just start exercising. Don't just start trying a new intervention. Instead, pause. Come up a level. The first component was mission and vision. We had to do a little planning. We had to define where he wanted to go. And to do that, it was really important that Harry and I aligned on vision. I had to spend time to create a path forward and ensure that his commitment was boiled down to the simple and accessible. So much of it was well-intentioned, but it was confused and random. And so we need to make sure that the first step was going in the direction of where we wanted to achieve. Now, this might sound blindingly obvious and a really simple start, but I want to explain the process here. Because with the vision, in finding the vision, we had to be really honest in reflection first. And of course, I utilized business analogies for him to enforce how poor his own choices were. Because stories and analogies really almost certainly hit home. We then had to unpick all of the roadblocks and challenges. It was really important for us to define Harry's role and what of the 50 things he could do, what his focus should be in and boil it down to two to three things and get him to only act on those things. And then in short order, we needed small little victories. And so rather than doing some grand roadmap, we did a really short cycle of progression. Really, really basic, really short term, because I was looking for little victories, little pats on the back for himself. And so the short term intervention was six weeks. That's all you're thinking, six weeks. By the way, good timing to enable habit creation. And in that six weeks, he was prescribed four days of training. Yes, training, but it was activity, not training, which was really my quest to say, I don't want you to come into a training mindset. I want you to be active. So four days of activity or training hidden in that name, but his goal, success, was only 75%. See, great. He had to hit three of the four. And then after six weeks, if he could do six weeks, hitting three out of four sessions, lots of downtime there, folks, no other change at all. That was the first six weeks and he had to buy into it. It was a written commitment. At that time, it was time then to finish the first cycle, re-motivate, and re-engage. And so at that time, pause, revisit the mission because it's our compass. We look back at the last six weeks and then we map the coming six weeks, the next small cycle. We're not going two-year vision to Ironman like Rachel here. We're going in six-week chunks. And in the next six weeks, we added a habit. Four sessions prescribed, three of them a success. Four this time is golden but a habit. 
post-workout fueling. And the reason for post-workout fueling is because it would have an impact on recovery and it would have an impact on food choices later in the day, limiting stress and giving him a little bit of control. He would undoubtedly on those days feel better. A little success, you see. And we were looking to deliver intentional focus. No voodoo diets, no quackery, activity and a simple habit. Six weeks again, short term, and we dial in, we revisit again and again and again. And after 18 weeks, he's still doing four days a week and he's not injured. And then we progressed 24 weeks and it felt like we were hardly getting anywhere. And then, boom, from the back of the head, suddenly we had an athlete evolved. It didn't take long. But to build habits and additions and resilience, it took a six-month commitment. But that six months is too much. It's too big. And so what it really was, was a six-week commitment and then a revisit and a re-engagement and an adjustment and something else to think about. And when you can start to draw the line of progression and you can start to build mini victories, that is the only sustainable way that performance becomes a lifestyle rather than just a short-term quest of trying to dig yourself out of a hole. The results for Harry? Resilience. More than physical but mental. Great energy management and ultimately the magic word, control. Control over himself and equipped to manage the stressful situations. Oh, and of course, yes, here comes the half marathon. We're four weeks away and in classic Harry style, he has an overly ambitious goal because that's what he needed. But look, hey, the coach can only do so much. You can't hold the ball back all the time. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in a marathon soon. I just hope we can keep him on track of remembering how we got there. More wasn't better, and it isn't always better now. It only works in context. And so, good man, Harry. From our first two case studies, yes, active people can do great things. But I should note that teams in businesses, or even businesses themselves, can also do great things if they go about it in a similar manner. And so to finish the day, I want to give you a really quick and dirty little real world example of this process in action. Development applied to a business team instead of an athlete. And in our example, this is a real example. This is a little story of an executive team going off the tracks and having to come back, retreat, rebuild to find the journey. And so our story is of, once again, a finance company, a different finance company. They're small, but they're successful, about 40 people. And in this volatile industry, the executive team spent some time doing some, doing some really deep reflection. They look to the future. And the universal decision, after many, many days and weeks of discussions and deliberations and whiteboarding, they decided that there should be a shift in approach and business plan. Now, this would have a material impact on the lives of all of the team and the company's customers. And if successful, it would be universally positive for everyone, the company as a whole, 
the team and the employees and the customers. An absolute win. And it was obvious. Once you'd gone through the process, it was clear as mud. This was the way to go. Everyone's a winner, yeah? Hmm. Sort of. When they rolled it out to the team, the initial excitement of the end result and the dream situation was very quickly replaced with resistance, confusion, and even annoyance from the team. It bordered on mutiny. You see, an idea can feel great, but without taking a journey to get to the idea, it can suddenly become really uncomfortable. And even positive change long-term is incredibly difficult. The executive team made two big mistakes. The first is that they didn't take the time to really deliver the context and the background story of the why behind the shift. All they did was paint a really rosy picture, which they were excited for, and they'd spent many days digging in, discussing, creating, and finally arriving at the path ahead. And this journey to get to the path led to buy-in at the executive team level. But they somehow accidentally assumed that the broader team would come on board based on a lovely vision of the destination and, of course, a little bit of great trust in their leader's decision-making. But it's seldom the case. The executive team's second mistake was very simple, changing too much too soon. It was like a tsunami of change and it could only destabilise the workers and lead them into confusion and frustration. There was so little chance to even buy into the process of change because what was a good idea has to be all implemented now, right? Now, now, now. And these two big mistakes compound to convert a really positive opportunity into an incredibly tough situation for everyone. Frustration at the executive team because the employees just don't, quote, get it. And a team of employees who feel like the ground that they were standing on is suddenly moving underneath them. Where just a month ago, they were layered with accolades and suddenly now that path and journey and process wasn't good enough. It was replaced with uncertainty uncertainty and changing goalposts. Deep breath in, deep breath in out. This type of situation occurs frequently. And in fact, we've been really guilty of this at Purple Patch, just the same way. The good news is it's fixable as long as we're all willing to commit to a little growth and maybe even a little redo. The intervention here includes a little pause, a coming up for air, and then engaging. And as I said, kind of a do-over. So let's do what was needed at the start. The executive team went through the process and came to the smart decision. This was good for everyone. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the team can get there really quick. They need the opportunity to marinate, understand, and then be given a roadmap to implement the change in a meaningful way. And so the key component was a little bit of storytelling. Provide the team with the context. Make sure that we're aligned on the challenge. And if as a company you decide to not act, what are the likely outcomes and results of that lack of action? 
because there must be unity in the challenge faced and there must be an understanding then of the path that the executive team has decided on to course correct and evolve. And from that then, We have the chance to set the vision and path forward and most importantly, include what it means for the employee in that. What is the employee's role and what's the positive outcome by them acting on their role? And it is under this compass, the executive team can then revisit the final state and that's where the aspiration starts. But unfortunately, in this case, that's where they started. This is where we're all going. But the right course of action, don't do it all now. Because we have to have empathy with the fact that change is hard. And bringing in the cavalry is only going to amplify resentment. So instead, the executive team should highlight a few things. First, the first step. The mission and the goal right in front of us of the whole team and how success in this first step will lead them towards the bigger goal and the immediate result and the positive impact it will have for them as a team and as individuals because that first little step and it has to be the most important step you must have buy-in that's the critical component and it is under that first step that you then can rally the troops Because we want the first step to be a meaningful victory and a noticeable step forward. And so of the 25 things that are needed to ensure that this long-term success can occur, only focus on one or two and nail them. And then reflect, celebrate and re-engage. And when you bring the next two to three pieces of the puzzle, you are now as a team going to bring them to a more trusting and engaged team. And so the message, folks, seldom can performance in a human, in a team or in a company be achieved in some big foul swoop. What do they say? Every overnight success is 10 years in the making or something like that. Performance isn't delivered via bulldozer. It's much more patient and refined than that. And that is why you, you know, we must love the process and make sure, simply put, we're having fun on the way. If it ain't fun, it ain't lasting. And so, small, enjoy the journey. Don't be in a rush and don't barge your way in. Strong like bull, smart like tractor and all that good stuff. Have a terrific week, guys. Catch you next time. It'll be fun. I hope you enjoy the week. Keep your performance flowing. And be my palantine. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!